I love this picture. You know, when, when, um, when Jesus fed the multitude, and we haven't gotten there in the book of Luke yet, uh, have we? I don't think so. The loaves and the fishes. I don't think we've gotten there with Luke yet. We're in Luke chapter 8, if you want to look it up in your Bible. I have the scriptures on the screen, if this will work today. Uh, they said there were 5,000 men, and they called that a great multitude. And uh, in this passage today that we're looking at, which is the parable of the four soils, they call this a great multitude. But apparently the painter felt that 35 people was a great multitude. <laughs> so what you have to do is you have to take that crowd and multiply it by at least 10 or 20, because uh, there was a huge crowd there. And the reason he got in the boat was he could get off and use the water to bounce his voice. So when I can't recall his name, when I get there, because I didn't write it down, in fact, maybe I'll just do it now. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably probably work as an invitation. Uh, introduction. Rick Warren recently retired from his church at Saddlebrook, if I'm saying it correctly. Is that correct? Huh? Saddleback. I don't know. There's some small church out there, like 60,000 members or something. 30,000 in the average attendance. Uh, one of those minor prophets in the Southern Baptist. He, uh, he's still working there. He's just not the main pastor anymore, or they're looking for a main pastor. But I remember reading one of his books. I don't remember which one it was, but he, he actually used this passage that we're going through today, and I didn't think about it until we were singing. Uh, he used this passage to talk about how he brings people into his church and how he views people who come to church. And he uses this parable of the four soils to describe four levels of, I don't know if church attendees is the right way, but I guess that's as good a way as any to say it. And he sees it as concentric circles. And, and I, he got this, I believe, if, I probably read this 30 years ago, if my memory's correct, uh, from this parable here. So as we go through this, I, I want you to see if you can identify in yourself these four level is not a good way, these four relationships, four different ways people relate to the Lord Jesus Christ, most importantly, uh, the Word of God in your life. Not just He saved me, but we are a team. So we're going from the outer fringes where the lost are storming around or walking around the outer field and uh, the gospel lands on the soil and a bird picks it up and takes it away from them and they're not saved, all the way to the inner circle where they're bearing fruit as much as a hundredfold. So there's four levels here. And I want you in your mind, you know, to try to place yourself in, in that relationship to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was as we're singing that song. I've been singing, uh, I've come to the garden alone easily for 50 years, uh, maybe longer. And every time I sing it, I think to myself, if, if I go down into my study and I sit down and I, I try to pray without making a list for God. Now, I can pray a good half hour if I give him a nice to-do list. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lister, like Paul was a lister. So I can give God a great list of things he needs to do. And for many years, that was a lot of my prayer. Uh, 
And one year somewhere in the past, I got a little convicted that, uh, you know, he's God and I'm not. What am I giving him my list for? I mean, shouldn't I be getting his list? It seems to me. And, and the problem with his list is he doesn't give me a list. It's just what faces me at the moment. What, what is this day going to bring? So I've, I've tried. I've tried in later years to say, you know, Lord, what are we going to get into today? Or, or more, more like my personality is, Lord, while I'm right in the middle of working through my punch list, would you please knock me in the head to get my attention and, and get me involved in the things you want me involved in today? So almost everything God does in my life seems like an interruption. But even with all of that, if I took my whole list and I sat there and I read some scriptures and I, uh, and I uh, tried to be quiet for a while, I might get 30 minutes. To sit there from morning till night in prayer, I've never done that. I went to a prayer meeting once with some preachers out in Western Maryland and said they were going to pray all night. Almost That, that was torture for me. I, I don't know how people do that. So I... So I'm not in the center circle of these four soils. I don't. I hope I'm not on the outer fringes, but I think I'm in that little rocky area where the things and cares of this world interrupt me so much. It's really hard to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're we're pretty much in the middle of the second year, or the middle of Jesus's ministry. Actually, we're at a turning point. If if we're if comparing this to uh, Matthew, and I will do that. I will parallel these two passages with Matthew. I had some in here with Mark, but I took them out. It just, I think it would have gotten too confusing. This is called the year of popularity, but I would rather call our passage today, I mean, in the timeline of Christ, and I'd love to put one up. The problem is when you look up timelines, there's so many events in the three and a half years of Jesus's ministry that we'd need a screen the size of this entire blackboard for you to see it. And one line wouldn't do it. You'd need two lines. And by the time you got that all up there, you'd never be able to conceive it. So if you're interested, I've got a couple of parallel timelines that are very interesting that compare this. But that's this is where I'm getting this from. I'm getting this from a, a, a timeline that parallels the different uh, Gospels together. So Matthew, uh, Matthew tells us uh, that this is the turning point, and I think I have that scripture for you. That shows up good for you. Don't have to worry about the internet today. It's weird. Uh, and all the people were amazed and said, "Is not this the son of David?" Now we're back in Matthew chapter twelve, which is considered the turning point of Jesus's ministry. And the problem here is the people. Now, Jesus, in this process, had just gotten finished healing blind people, uh, raising people from the dead, healing people with leprosy. Uh, Many people were getting saved. Crowds were just swarming around him. So this was the high point of his ministry. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Now, that for a Jew is saying, is this not the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Now, of course, they're, they're doing what is really the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They're attributing the works of Jesus Christ to Satan. They're saying his miracles are done in the power of Satan. Apparently, though, however, they did not say it out loud. Oops, I'm trying to, I'm trying to click on my recorder. I need to be clicking on the mouse here. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every case, and Jesus knew their thoughts. So he didn't hear them say that, but he knew what they were thinking. And he said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. 
I don't know if you've thought about that too much, but you know, we think, well, if we just don't swear, or if we just don't say that out loud, Jesus doesn't know what we're thinking. But he's in a crowd of people that's almost uncountable, and he knows what these Pharisees are thinking. Now, it would be fascinating to do a little test and go through all 4,000 people there that day and see if he knew, knew what they were thinking at every moment of every time during that lecture. That's what omniscience is. So he could say to me, in 1964, Bob, at 12.03 in the afternoon on July 2nd, you were thinking this. That's omniscience. See, that's the way God's mind works. The Pharisees didn't grasp that. I don't even know if it's possible for us to grasp it. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casting out Satan, then he's divided against himself. How is his kingdom going to stand? Now, that's not the point of this message, but this is the turning point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Up until now, he presented the kingdom openly to anyone who would listen. Now he's going to begin a closed message. He's going to begin speaking to them in parables. Now, Matthew 13 and uh, Luke both tell us this. Now, Matthew 13 and Luke 8, I believe, are the same message. Although there's very, very minor differences, but Matthew was there possibly taking notes. Luke was recording this from the memories of others years later after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. Luke was a historian, however, and records show two things. One, that his Greek was some of the best Greek ever written in the New Testament. And two, he was one of the most accurate historians of, of the Bible. He was, he was interested in facts and histories. John was interested in spiritual things. Matthew wanted to present Jesus as the king. So there was a little bit, an element of the personality of each of the writers. But Luke was a historian. So much so that when uh, Sir, oh, I wrote his name down here, but I lost it. Where did I write it? Hmm. I know his name. Well, it'll come to me. I wrote it down here. Sir William Ramsey. Now, there's a number of Sir William Ramseys, but this guy was an archaeologist of the last century. He was Scottish. He actually was doing archaeological work in the Middle East, and he was seeking to disprove the history of Luke. And in the process of attempting to disprove Luke, he was finding cities and towns at the exact locations. I mean, we're just talking about dust now. The cities are under hundreds of feet of sand. He's finding archaeological digs exactly where Luke says it was, uh, and in the end became a Christian apologetist himself uh, because of the accuracy of the book of Luke. But Matthew tells us where they were in a way that Luke doesn't, so that's why I put it up there on the screen for you. That same day Jesus went out of the house. Now we're assuming, and this is just an assumption, that they're still in Capernaum. That every indication is they're still at his home base in Capernaum because he's really not welcome in Jerusalem. And they're really staying at Peter's house, uh, which they have actually excavated. You can go visit and go... Well, you can't really go in it. You go on it. They built a glass floor so you could look down into the house where Jesus stayed in those days. But the house was too small for this crowd. And if you remember, and I should put it up there, the pictures of Capernaum, if you just go south a little bit, there's this huge beach 
south of Capernaum. So the thinking is, it was hot. Everybody wouldn't fit in the house. They said, let's go outside. Let's go sit on the beach. As the crowd got bigger and bigger, Jesus used one of the boats and went out on the boat so his voice would echo off of the, the, the water. And he had a great opportunity. And a great multitude were gathered together unto him. So they went into a ship, really a boat, and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went forth. Um, now Luke just doesn't give you any of that background he just says when much people were gathered together and were coming to him out of every city he spoke in a parable so even though we believe this was at Capernaum people had been coming from all over they were probably camping outside the city there was nothing more important going on in their lives right now than that the Messiah was staying in Capernaum I mean that's pretty cool you know and he tells us, this, uh, Jesus tells this parable, Matthew's and Luke's account are very much the same. A sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell away by the wayside, and it was trodden down. Now, if you can picture a field, whether you picture the field square like we do fields nowadays, or round like a lot of theirs were in those days, around the outer edge of that was the wayside. It was a path people walked on to get around the field. I don't know that they had paths through the field, but they easily could have. But that would be the area where people walked. Fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. And others fell upon good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear. He spoke louder, cried out, he spoke more authoritatively. If you have ears to hear, let him hear, is what Jesus said. Now Matthew tells us that afterwards, <coughs> excuse me, after this event, uh, the disciples came to him and they said, why, why are you speaking to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So there's a division starting here that I want you to see. There are people that are in that audience that God wants to speak to spiritually. And there are people in that audience that God doesn't want to hear the message. So at this point, once... Once the leadership of Israel, the religious leaders, they call them, <clears throat> once they've made a decision, we don't believe this guy. He's not the Messiah. I don't want anything to do with him. God shut down the messaging to them. It is at this point that the kingdom of heaven is actually withheld <coughs> from the people of Israel. This is a significant point. Probably not enough made of. So where are you in this thing? Are you on the fringes of a message? See, Sunday after Sunday, and you don't want to get too close because you don't want to get dragged into it, and you really don't want to hear from God. You may want... You may want to disprove some things that the preacher's saying or the church you're at, but you're not really interested in it. This is, this is what I want you to see. But at, at that point, at, at that point where you decide you're going to step back, this is Romans chapter 1. I, I started to put that up here, but it's too long a passage. 
at that point where you decide, you know, this religious stuff isn't for me, and you step back, I want you to understand that's when God steps back from you. And God will not step up again until you step in. You ever think about that? And you read, go back and read Romans chapter 1, start at about verse 8, and read it through to the end. And you'll see it's exactly what's wrong with the United States right now today. It's what's wrong with the world. But more importantly, it's what's wrong with a lot of us. We're on the wayside. We're on the path of our choosing. We're going through our to-do list. We're doing our punch out. And we don't want God interfering with all we got going on. See? So when the guy gets up and says this, that, or you need to do this, or, or God wants to do that, you say, I don't need that stuff. I'm not interested. And God says, fine. So he begins to tell these parables that, that, that you can't understand because they cannot be understood unless they're spiritually interpreted to you. Now the disciples will ask and in private he will explain it to them. But Jesus didn't go out and explain this stuff to the crowd. He left that to the Holy Spirit. And unless they showed up that day in church, one church, you know, this was just an outdoor lecture. Unless they showed up that day and said, God, I really want to hear what you have to say to me. God, I really want you to open my heart. God, I really want you to speak to me. Unless you say that, that parable will go right over your head. You won't understand the thing of what's going on. And you'll walk out and you'll say, that was the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, and other people will sit there. Now, I've done this. I've gone into church and I've said... I wonder how long this guy's going to talk, you know. And I'm thinking, I, I wonder where the bathroom is, you know. I hope I didn't drink too much coffee when I came in. Gee, this guy's born. Is he going to talk forever? You know, and, you know, am I ready to hear a message? Absolutely not. All I'm doing is thinking about myself, my own little crisis emergency list, right? There's other times I've gone in and I've said, Lord, I really need to hear from you today. And sometimes I don't hear from him anyway. But other times I do. And sometimes it's not even what the preacher said. Sometimes it might be what the music director said. Sometimes I might actually zone out and God's speaking to me individually. But Jesus is saying here, the purpose of these parables is not to explain. Well, you know, parable, the word para means alongside. Bole in the Greek is throw, to throw like to throw a ball. We get the word ball from bole, but it really just means to throw. Parable just means to throw alongside. I throw this alongside. So it's really a comparison, see? But Jesus used it in a much higher context. He used it in a context, I'm going to throw this out, and it's going to have two results. You know, The Holy Spirit is going to minister to some people, and He's going to blind others. Now, I think I put this in the wrong place. Yeah, I did. I want to back up. Uh, didn't I just do that? Maybe I forgot to do that. Can I back up here? Let's see here. I was so focused on internet, I wasn't focused on uh, the, the editing of this. Okay, so that's that's eight. Well, we'll, we'll do this here. That's all right. I, I think that really should come after I repeat this in Luke. But it looks like I repeat Matthew again afterwards anyway. So we got four soils. We've gone over this twice. You don't need a lot there. But you got the path, the stony ground, the thorny bushes, and the good ground. The path is where everybody walks. The birds from the sky ate them up. Later on, we're going to find out that's Lucifer's. Uh, going to come along and he's going to take the word of God right out of your heart. See the stony ground, it, it dries up as soon as it comes up because you got no depth of moisture. You're not there to hear anything. You're not there to grow. You're just there because everybody else is there. The thorn bushes is a problems of life come along and choke them. And there's good ground. Those that came in. And you know, in Matthew, I think he said he, he bore 30 and 60 and a hundred fold, but Luke just cuts to the chase, bore a hundred fold. 
you know, let's get back up to here. Yeah, see, I should have deleted that. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. God has turned away. Well, you don't want that to happen in your life. God has turned away. Now, I don't know. What's my time doing? I don't want to get into a deep thing about Calvinism, but I'm a Calvinist. I believe if you've come to Christ and you've truly been born again, you will not be lost. And I'm not sure how this parable, this story relates to Calvinism versus Arminianism. And I do believe that if the Holy Spirit doesn't minister His truth to your heart, you cannot be saved. Jesus said that. I do believe that if God doesn't call you, you won't come. I do believe that when God calls you and you respond and you receive what He has to offer, you cannot be lost. I don't think a rock can crop up in your life, dry out your fruit. So I don't think we're talking about salvation here, except in this first instance where it says Satan takes the seed from their heart. And later on in Luke, he's going to say, so that they cannot be saved. That's in the outer fringes of the field. That's the people around the edges of the, of the community that are, what's the word? They're skeptical and they don't really want to believe and they don't really want to know the truth. And that outer fringe, when, when Satan comes along and snatches that seed from you, how many times have you witnessed the people? And, and you know, my brother-in-law said to me that time in the hospital, yeah, I, I think what you're telling me is the truth, but I'm not ready yet. And I think, you're laying in a hospital with sepsis, dude. What, what is ready? You're on the gallows and the guy's got his hand on the lever? What? What? What do you, his name's Bob. Everybody in my family's Bob. What are you thinking, Bob? Look, your leg's elevated so you don't die. What do you mean you're not ready yet? I'm not ready yet. You know, not ready yet. That's that hard soil. And just as soon as that gospel fell on his heart, that Satan came along and just snatched it right out of his heart. The last time I visited him, he had a major stroke. And uh, this, this was been my brother-in-law for years. And we worked together building houses together. We like brothers. I mean, we are brothers. And I didn't even bother to bring up the gospel. He just decided. Turned his back on God and walked away. Still pray for him. you know. Well, but to them, it is not given. Don't step back. Step in. That's the big, big thing in Southern Baptist days. Lean in. Don't lean out. You, know? you don't want to lean from the outer... You want to step into this. Now in Luke, the same question is, let's see if I can back up here. See if I get that question in Matthew. It's just a little, uh, Matthew 13, 10, you see why speak it to them in parables. And then you get up to Luke. And Luke, uh, King James Version, uh, and the disciples asked him saying, what might this parable be? But the verb there implies, what does it mean? You know, but Jesus still answers sort of the same, same question. Uh, he says, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You see, we went from presenting an outward, an outward presentation of the kingdom of God to now in chapter 8 of Luke and Matthew 13, now Jesus begins talking about the mystery form of the kingdom. And by the way, in case you don't know it, you're in the mystery form of the kingdom. Up until this chapter right here, the church was a mystery. No one knew about it. But the church began when Israel officially rejected Christ. And that's this turning point here. 
So we're now in the mystery form of the kingdom of God, and you are a member of the kingdom of God. And you remember what we read a couple of weeks ago, that you, in the kingdom of God right now, are greater than the greatest prophet in the Old Testament that ever lived. Well, I wouldn't want to stand against John the Baptist and have that argument, but I think what it means is I have the Holy Spirit living in me permanently, and he did not. Other than that, I, I don't see anything great in me that's greater than John the Baptist. And he said unto them, It's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they might not understand. Matthew Henry writes, A parable is like the pillar of cloud in the daytime and smoke and fire at night, separating the Egyptians from the Jews as they were crossing the Red Sea. It lighted the way for Israel, but it darkened the way for Egypt. So you can see that that's the way the parable is designed, as a barrier between those who reject God and those who are attempting to follow God. Although you could make an argument about the Jews in that. It turns the dark side toward the Egyptians, Matthew Henry said, which confounds them, but a light side towards the Israelites, which comforts them and so answers the double intention. The same light that directs the eyes of some dazzles the eyes of others. So let's get into the parable just a little bit further and I'll be done. <coughs> promises, promises, I know. The seed is the word of God. Now, I believe it's the whole word of God. Now, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. It's not just the gospel presentation. It's, it's in my opinion, it's everything God has to say to you and to me. And it might be about my finances. It might be about my marriage. It might be about my work style. It might be how faithful I am in church. It might be about this or that or the other thing. It's everything. So, you know, you go to church and you want to hear a good word or a comforting word or something that really speaks to you. But sometimes when you go and you're really seeking that, what the preacher's talking about, you don't really want to hear. Well, that's part of the word of God. That's what I'm trying to say. He said the seed is the word of God. It's everything Jesus has to say to us. So if you kind of keep that in mind and don't just... Don't just partition that off as the gospel because he will tell you the right way to live your life. And if you follow him, your life will be an overwhelming success no matter how the world looks at your life. Your life will be an overwhelming success. If you accomplish what God has intended for your life, you are an overwhelming success even if the world thinks you're a fool. But if you miss out on this, you will miss out on everything. Everything. Oh. The wayside is hardened path around the field. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Jesus is interpreting this himself. And then cometh the devil. It was birds before. Interesting how uh, birds often in the Bible are evil. Uh, at least in this type of a context. And taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So the outer fringe on the wayside, we are talking about whether you're going to go to heaven or not. You know, you, you stomp around with the crowd on the hardened path that leads to destruction and you hang out there and you resist what you're hearing and Satan will take that promise right out of your heart and you will be doomed to eternity forever. Those folks, according to, uh, what's the preacher's name now? I should remind me of the guy's name. No, no, no. Saddleback Church. Rick Warren, thank you. Yeah, I, I can never remember his name. Uh, 
There's some drugs I'm taking. I can't remember the names of them either. So it's not just personal, Rick, uh, at all. Uh, yeah. These folks are on the outer edges of church life and they don't really want in. They just want to walk around and criticize, you know. And his goal as he builds a church is to move them in, into inner concentric circles. And, and, and it's a process because we all started on the outside. We all started skeptical. We all started walking with the crowd. And, and at one point, we just thought, maybe I ought to listen to this. That's his goal. His goal as he brings people into his church. If nothing else, I mean, he knows something about church growth. Uh, and if nothing else, you've you got to find a way to link in those on the outer edges to bring them in to the next level, see? And when they get into the next level, you know, you'll see... Uh, the rocky soil, those who through temptation and hard times fall away. I'm too busy. I've got too much work. My life is too hard. My daughter's sick. I don't have enough money for this. That preacher wants me to give to the church. This is and come on and on and on and on. You know, rocky soil. What are the rocks in your life that are keeping the gospel, that are keeping the word of God? I, I, don't, I don't want to limit it to the gospel, and I'm trying not to. Uh, what are the rocks in your life that are keeping spiritual growth from happening in your life? What's keeping you? Those things, if, if you're a farmer, you know what to do with rocks. You dig them up and you move them outside of the field. And that's what we have to do. And, and, and it's interesting when we get to the end of this, as much of a Calvinist as I am, and as much as I believe it's up to the Holy Spirit to save it, and when we get to the end of this, these responsibilities Jesus is going to lay on us, which kind of surprises me because I thought He was a Calvinist too. But He wants us to listen. And He wants us to pay attention. And they on the rock are they which when they hear and receive the Word with joy and have no root. You know, have you ever seen that? People come and join the church, they get all excited, they get involved in everything that's going on, and then three months later they're gone. Some problem came up in their life, something happened, and boom, it was gone. They have no root. And rather than take that rock, I've got some rocks in my yard, I can't even move. But rather than take that rock and lever it up on top of the ground and roll it out of the field and say, I'm going to follow God, I don't care what happens with this rock. I don't, this problem is a problem, but it's not my problem, it's God's problem. I'm going to let God move the rock, I'm going to, I'm going to roll it out of my field, and I'm going to move on. But instead of doing that, they let that stop them. Rocky soil. So the question is, as we sit here, what is keeping, what in your life is, a, is an obstacle that's keeping the Word of God from growing in your life? I don't think while Jesus was preaching this, this parable, I really don't think the people were thinking like I'm talking right now. I think they went home and had to think about it. And I think the Holy Spirit had to minister that to them. Unless when He got on one subject like thorny soil, it hit them. That's me, you know, choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. I'd go to church, but my boat needs painting, see? It's interesting to me when our kids got involved in sports. Every event was on a Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Do you think that's an accident? I don't think so, you know. And I know times I came here and preached, and James would go and compete in, uh, what do they call them? They have big competitions, not just a game, but uh, like the playoffs. I said, I, I can't go. I've got a job. My job is a church. You know. Now, some dads would have said, James, you're going to church. But I didn't have the heart for that. And I did actually, we went to some competition. I don't know if it was Lisa or James, where we actually got a preacher in the preach for me. But by and large, I, 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 it was amazing to me how every, every event was on a Sunday morning. 
And they which fell among thorns are they which, well, you know, if you're a farmer, you're thinking, well, you don't have thorns in your field, man. You need to harrow that field before you start planting. It was a different world back then, though. I mean, they, they didn't really have the John Deere and the equipment that we have. And they which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasure of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. I'm too busy for God to work in my life. We're not talking about me working for God. So this is not. This isn't about me. I, I'm, we're, I'm not saying I'm too busy building my house to go out and teach Sunday school. What we're saying here is I'm too busy building my house to listen to what God has to say to me about my life. That's a big different thing. Because when God gets in your life, He'll take care of those other problems. But I'm not letting Him in because I'm using my problems as an excuse to push Him out. So Rick, Rick Warren sees this as concentric circles as you're moving in further and further into the life of the church. And his goal is to bring people uh, to good ground. They've cleaned it up. They've pulled out their weeds. They've pushed stuff aside and they said, God, you're more important to me than my boat or my job or this or that or whatever it is that's blocking you from hearing God. I'm not talking about hearing the preacher. Please understand. I'm talking about hearing God in your life. You know, if you're like I am, you've wasted way too much time giving God a list of things to do. First of all, he knows my list better than I know my list. And secondly, he's not going to do anything he doesn't want to do. So why am I giving him my list? You know, what I need to do is see what God wants to do in my life and open my heart to him. I need to plow that ground and get it ready for him. So when I come into church or when I hear a gospel message on the radio or I hear a good song on the radio, my heart is ready to hear what God has to say. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. You know, I believe every time you go to a church service and you hear someone speak, before you go in, you not only ought to pray for the speaker, but you ought to pray for yourself and ask God to point out the things that are barriers in your life to His Word because it's your responsibility. God's Word is everything God has to say to you. And it's about all the different subjects. So then he closes with this. I'm skipping a verse if you're looking in your Bible because I didn't want to confuse it. Those by, take heed therefore how you hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given. God will continually add to what you've received. But if you refuse to receive, he'll take what little you have away from you. That's a scary verse. Take heed therefore how you hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. 18. I don't know how I got that up there. Did I skip one? There was one I wanted to show you. 15. Hmm. I think I'm ahead of myself here. No, that's as far as I'm going. I cut a bunch of these out because I, I knew I was going to talk too much. The revelation of the Word of God is a spiritual event that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts as we open our hearts to Him. And it's up to us. Take heed therefore how you hear. God, God is not going to override our, our spirit. He's not going to choke us till we're quiet or clear our minds till we're not thinking about something else. It's up to us how we listen. 
So I don't want to tell you how often you should go to church or how often you should listen to lectures or any of that kind of thing, but I would like to tell you this. Take your time that you do spend listening to spiritual messages seriously. Clear out your mind. Push the rocks out of the way. Ask God to expose those barriers in your life to hearing His Word truthfully to you. And open your ears to hear what God has to say to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for the Lord Jesus that wasn't afraid to tell us the truth in love. Help us to hear it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.